Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. I wanna title the chat this morning as we get into this, The Praise Paradox, because this is a paradox that all of us will have to walk through at some season in our lives. When things don't look great, to still have the ability to lift up the name of Jesus and declare, you are good when everything around me doesn't look so good. The praise paradox. So uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of Acts. And um, I'm gonna read an incredible story. If you've been around the body of Christ for any length of time, uh, you've probably heard this one before. Uh, But this story, I think, is one of the most beautiful illustrations of a praise paradox. And uh, I think we can draw some stuff out of it today. So Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says this, one day... As we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. The story is starting out good. Uh, She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. Come on, how many grateful for spiritual authority? I wanna walk down Market Street and just start saying that a little bit. It's gonna be great. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and uh, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. Now, pause there for a moment. Let me give you a picture of the prison that these guys were in, because this is not the prison that you might consider as you, if you walk through or maybe seen some, some documentaries or some movies about our modern-day prisons. No, that's not what they were living in. Uh, in fact, history will tell us that these prisons in Rome had about four-foot ceilings so that you couldn't actually stand up in them, and it was the same tunnel that all of the city's sewage went through, and they were chained down, not able to move, literally with sewage and rats and everything running by their feet. So this was, this was not a desirable place by any means. Uh, so, uh, oh, what did I, I missed a verse there. So the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. Uh, the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? And they replied, and I believe this promise is not just for this man, but I believe this is a promise that is available to us today as New Testament believers. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. The praise paradox. You guys ready to preach with me a little bit this morning? Someone say yes. Let's do this. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power that's in this room today. And God, I thank you that regardless of what we're walking through, you have still put a praise on our lips I ask right now in this room with a a myriad of situations represented, I ask that regardless of what we're walking through, that there would be something on the inside of us that cannot stay silent. Whether it's a prison, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's lack, whatever it is, there would still be something on our lips that says, God, you're worthy and I give you everything. I give you all that you're worth today. I adore you and I honor you even in the midst of what I'm facing. 
And Lord, uh, provoke us in this. Help us to see how this can change not just our lives, our household's lives, but the lives of people in our city. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. All right, let's have some fun. How many of you guys uh, have ever been the victim of somebody else's road rage? <laughs> you live in San Francisco. It comes with the territory. Okay, yeah. Okay, be honest because you're in church. How many of you are the rager? You are the person who, come on, but yeah, it's okay. You're among friends. You can be honest here in the house of God. It's fine. I don't know what it is about getting behind the wheel of a car, but it can turn the nicest of people into, yeah. Something, even your grandma, who's like mild-tempered and just really friendly, you get her behind the wheel of her Buick and someone cuts her off and she can turn into the Antichrist like that. Like it is, it's, it's amazing what happens. Um, I, I have to admit, uh, I have had my bouts of road rage. Um, I'm not proud to admit it, but, but it is by nature the way that I'm wired. I, I get a little frustrated, a little bit easy. And uh, I've tried to work on it, but uh, you can tell that it's, it's not working so great because my kids have inherited the very problem that I've, uh, I've, I've allowed in my atmosphere, my car. Um, my eight-year-old will often, as we're sitting at a stoplight, if there's a teenage girl texting in front of us at the stoplight, she'll be like, the light's green. You can go now. Hey, hey moron, stop looking at your phone. And, and, and I'm like, okay. I don't know where you got that from, but that's great. Um, but I am getting better. And the reason I'm getting better is not because I'm so filled with the fruit of the spirit that it's producing like self-control and patience. And it's not that at all. I, I actually just put one of those tfh.church bumper stickers on the back of my car. And so it's kind of like built-in accountability because I know that anytime I'm on the road, I represent all of y'all. And I want to make sure that people don't associate our church with really angry drivers. In fact, I think today at our Connect table, we have a bunch of those uh, bumper stickers available. So feel free to grab as many as you want. Put them on anything that will remind you to be like Jesus, okay? You can put it on your computer, on your phone. You can put it on your girlfriend if you need to. Whatever you need, you just throw it on there and, and, and it'll remind you to live like Christ. It's great. Uh, but I had probably the worst experience with road rage in my entire life last Saturday. So uh, here's, here's the setting. Um, because I love all of you, I'm in my, my office and I'm finishing up studying and trying to prepare the sermon for Sunday and I've been in the presence of God and in the word all day long and so I'm kind of at peace with my surroundings in this moment. And uh, some friends of mine were getting ready to, to meet me up at a coffee shop at about 2.30. So I finished up the sermon and thank you, Jesus, it's all good. And uh, I get in my car and I'm like, you know what? I wanna extend the atmosphere of worship that I've been in for the last few hours. I, I turned on the song we were just singing. I raise a hallelujah. And I'm in my car and I'm just singing, windows down, it was sunny, life was good. About a minute after I left my house, I'm on Brotherhood Way. And there's a guy in a black Honda Civic and he's weaving in and out of two lanes. If you're here this morning, we need to talk afterwards. And he's, he, he's going in and out of these two lanes. And, and then finally, he decides to rest directly in the center so that the divider is between the two wheels of his car. And he hasn't made a decision on which lane he wants to be in. And so, aware of the fact that the bumper sticker's on the back of my car, I don't want to do the, you know, like I hate you beep. Sort of like the warning beep, like, hey, buddy, you're making a bad decision. And just one of those beeps, you know, one of those. <laughs> so, I, so I give him a little beep, and, uh, and he looks back at me, and, and he's clearly irritated about the fact that I've made him aware that he's driving um, irresponsibly. And uh, he cuts me off, and he slams on his brakes. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> so I, I'm like, no, I, I can do this. And so... I gently merge with my blinker into the next lane. 
and, and I speed up to try to get in front of him. And instead, he slams on his gas, gets in front of me, and slams on his brakes again. I'm like, always going down. <laughs> so I, I, I turn, I get into the next lane, just kind of weave in, and, and I step on my gas, and I'm trying to pass him up. And he gets within about two inches of my car and rolls down his windows. And he begins to tell me what he thinks about the situation that we're in right now. And so I, at this point, a little flustered, I said, hey, listen, buddy, just pick a lane. That's all I'm asking you to do, pick a lane, pay attention. And he flips me off and then he gets on the freeway. And I'm like, man, that was, that was terrible. I raise a hallelujah. <laughs> about 30 seconds later, I pull up to this stoplight. I'm in, there's a guy in front of me and the light turns green. And the gentleman is looking for something clearly in his passenger seat. Now, aware of what just happened, I'm like, okay, I need to operate with a little bit of patience here. So I give him about five seconds and he's not moving. People are angry behind me. And so I was doing it for the rest of us. I, I alerted the gentleman in front of me that the light had cycled and, and he needed to go. So I beep, you know, a little, little warning. And he looks out and looks back, looks at the light, puts his hand out the window to say thank you, which is what you're supposed to do. And he takes off. Apparently between that light and the next light, he changed his mind about how he felt regarding my warning. And so he cuts me off, slams on his brakes and sticks his middle finger out the window. And I'm like, are you serious right now? So I try to weave into the next lane so that I don't have to like, you know that awkward moment where you're like face to face with the person at the next stoplight and you don't want to be in that moment. But I was, I was unsuccessful and we ended up at the stoplight next to each other and, I'm, and he rolls down his window and he gives me a what for. And at this point I'm like, hey, why don't you get your eyes off the floor of your car and pay attention to what you're doing because the rest of us don't want to wait behind you. Thanks, buddy. He flips me off and he takes off. I'll raise a hallelujah. I wish I could tell you that's where it ended. <laughs> Not a minute later. <laughs> there's a person in front of me who slams on their brakes and turns on their flashers. And assuming it was an Uber driver, I turned on my blinker and I got into the next lane. But this gentleman reaches his hand out of his car and tries to hit my car while I'm going by. Third person. I'm like, what is going on? Well, I didn't realize that there was somebody trying to cross across, uh, use a, cross across the street without a crosswalk. And I may or may not have almost hit them, but I continued on. And I bet you'll never guess what happened when we got to the next stoplight and that gentleman was sitting right next to me. Yeah, basically the same conversation for the third time. Literally, Within an eight minute span of this song playing in my car, I get involved in three irate conversations with three very road raged drivers. Oh, the irony, right? Now, because I am a pastor and a preacher, um, I am constantly looking at life through the lens of I need fresh material. And uh, <laughs> I, I write things down all the time that happen in my life so that there are stories that we can all kind of connect with here. So when I got out of my car that morning, or excuse me, that afternoon, I opened up my phone and I wrote this down and, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. Amidst life's tensions, we need a sustained hallelujah. <laughs> Amidst the tensions of life, we must all have this sustained hallelujah on our lips. See, here was the paradox. The atmosphere of my car <laughs> did not match the atmosphere outside of my car. <laughs> there was an atmosphere of worship happening in my car, but there was complete chaos on the outside of it. And I think that that is what supernatural worship and supernatural praise is supposed to look like. 
that despite the chaos surrounding you, there should be this sustained praise. There should be this sustained hallelujah in my heart that says, my praise is not dictated by my environment, but I will praise even in the middle of a storm, even in the middle of what I'm facing right now. Here's what supernatural praise looks like. No matter what is yelling at you, you continue to lift up your voice to Jesus. If it's a driver in the car next to you, if it's unpaid bills on your desk, if it's a diagnosis on your refrigerator, if it's the single status in your Christian mingle profile still, whatever you're staring at, you can still say, I love you, Jesus. You are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my adoration. I know things don't look good, but you're still good. That is what supernatural praise looks like. And this is why I, I'm telling you, I love this story in, in Acts chapter 16. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture because it makes no sense for these guys to praise. It is a praise paradox. It is a situation where anybody else would shut down and wait for things to get good before they honored God. But these guys chose to continue to lift up their voice and say, Jesus, you're worthy even in the midst of what I'm facing. Consider the circumstances for a moment. These guys are doing the will of Jesus, okay? They're, they're not out there living it up, sending it up. They're not at the club on Friday night. No, these guys are preaching the gospel delivering this poor girl of, of, of demonic possession, setting her free and doing all the things that God has asked them to do, but in the midst of doing the right thing, they get thrown in prison. I think so often, especially as Christians, we like to find a reason for people's rough season. Oh, there's a, there's a rhymer. Like we like to give an excuse as to why things are going bad. Like, well, you know, they lost the job probably because they weren't giving or, you know, the, uh, the, the you, we fill in the blanks. We try to give a reason for why things are bad. I'm reading through the book of Job right now because I need to be more depressed apparently in the morning. And as I'm reading through the book of Job, I mean, I love his friends because they're just trying to find a reason to explain why Job is walking through what he's walking through. Well, the reason is simple. We live on a fallen planet. The devil's real and he wants to take you out. Like sometimes even good godly people have bad things happen to them just because the enemy wants to try to take them out. This is the way it works. And these guys are doing the right thing, but they get tossed into prison. And even when they're in prison, a nasty, disgusting, sewage-infested prison, they say, you know what? Doesn't look good. It looks pretty bad, but Jesus is still worthy. And we're gonna lift up our voices and we're gonna praise God even in the midst of it. Now, here's what I wanna do for a couple of moments. I wanna take a look at this story and I wanna draw a couple of thoughts out because these stories are not collected in scripture for us to just look at and applaud the faith and the goodness of other people. It's not like, oh my gosh, look at Paul. He's just so great. Look at how needy he is, man. He's just worshiping Jesus in a prison cell. Like the reason these stories are there is because we can find ourselves in them. It's because you will find yourself in a proverbial prison surrounded by sewage in the middle of the dark and you need to know in those seasons how to respond with praise. And I think that there are some thoughts in this scripture that if we simply applied to our lives, it could change the situation we find ourselves in right now. So I'm gonna give you three if you're taking notes. Uh, the first one is this, the time matters. The time matters. I don't think that anything in the Bible is there on accident. I think every scripture, every word, every thought, it is recorded there Intentionally. In fact, the Bible says of itself that all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching. And I think that such is the case with this scripture. With this scripture, we are given a specific time as to when this praise paradox took place. Look what it says in Acts 16, verse 25. It says, around midnight... 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. When? At midnight. Now, again, I, I think that this is interesting. I don't know why the Bible would, would go to the trouble of telling us it was at midnight. I mean, is there something significant about that? And by the way, why were these guys awake at midnight? Like, they just, not to you know, make light of a bad situation, but they were literally beaten within an inch of their life that day. They're probably exhausted. What are they doing awake at midnight singing songs? Why are they not asleep, just resting? Well, again, I think this is significant. I think the reason midnight is in there is because there, there's, a, there's a, a thought we can draw from this, and I, I think it's this. Midnight is, in fact, the darkest moment of the night. It's when the, the sun is exactly 180 degrees from the earth. You could say that it does not get any darker than when it's midnight. And not only is it the darkest moment of the night, we're told that these guys are thrown down into a bit of a dungeon where it is pitch black, it is underground. We know that because the jailer had to call for a light later on in the story just to see what happened when the earthquake took place and their chains fell off. So we know that they are in a dark place at the darkest time. This is about as bad as it gets. But the under, other interesting thought about midnight is not only is it the darkest moment of the night, but it is the moment of the night where the light is closest to breaking through. Literally one moment after the stroke of midnight, the sun begins to come back around in its orbit and light begins to break forth in the middle of the night. Let me talk to some people that are here this morning and you feel like you are in the darkest season of your life. You feel like nothing else could go wrong. Everything has happened and here I am in the middle of a dark chapter in a dark season. I'm in a dark place at a dark time. Let me remind you today and let me prophesy with my eyes open. You are probably closer to breakthrough than you think. You are probably closer to the light breaking through on the other side of this situation than you think. As they used to say, if this is as bad as it gets, well, I'm glad I hit rock bottom because I can only go up from here. There is something breaking forth in your situation. And if you can be the kind of person that realizes, you know what, I know it's dark, I know it's difficult, but I will continue to praise in the midst of this, you will find that praise is in fact the very key to your breakthrough. In fact, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Praise precedes breakthrough. Praise precedes breakthrough. You'll find this all throughout the Bible. And let me give you one simple, simple one. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Jacob who would later become Israel. And he would have 12 sons. And his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons would be a guy by the name of Jacob. Or excuse me, uh, would be a guy by the name of Judah. Jacob was his name. <laughs> a guy by the name of Judah. And Judah, or in Hebrew, uh, Yadah means praise. Now, often when the tribes of Israel were heading into a new territory to take new ground or they were to make their way onto the battlefield and they were about to get into a fight with their enemy, God's prescription for victory in the midst of that battle was, I want you to send Judah first. I want you to send praise ahead of everybody else. And if you send praise first, then I will bring a victory on your behalf. In fact, in the times when he didn't send Judah, often he would send the Levites, and the Levites included the singers, and he would send the singers onto the battlefield first and say, hey, I want you to go sing a song over the battlefield while the rest of those guys have their swords drawn, and then I'll send a victory on your behalf. Come on, that is an irrational battle plan. That makes absolutely no sense. If I were to somehow incite an entire nation against me today and I was about to go out to war, I am not getting the singers out there first, all right? No offense to our worship team, but I love you guys. You're not gonna get my back in the middle of a, f a fight like that, okay? Like, all right, guys, 
Let's just, come on, we're going to put on our skinny jeans and we're going to go out there with our makeup and grab your acoustic guitar. Let's go get these guys. Like, no. That is a bad battle plan. We're going to lose. But sometimes a supernatural victory requires an irrational battle plan. It requires an irrational attack. Remember, supernatural praise is unnatural praise. Let me offer you a battle plan today if you're walking through a difficult season. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. But why don't you just go ahead and turn on some worship music in your house? Why don't you open up the Psalms and just begin to lift up your voice to Jesus? I know it's dark. I know it doesn't make sense. I know that it's difficult. But I'm telling you, when you begin to let praise come out of your lips, it is preceding something. There is light coming on the other side of this thing. And your praise will prove to be your breakthrough. Let me say it like this. If you can praise before your breakthrough, you'll get to praise him for your breakthrough. Oh, come on, that'll preach. Yeah, that's right, that was good. <laughs> you have to remember that the time matters. It's dark, yes, I get it. But even in the midst of the darkness, you have gotta lift up your voice. There's still gotta be a praise on your lips. Number two, the song matters. The song matters. I, uh, my wife is obsessed with the Enneagram and you know that because every time she's preached, she's brought it up. And uh, as a student of the Enneagram, I've learned a lot about people's personalities. And I've come, not to throw out you know, vague generalities here, but I, uh, I've, I've come to notice that there are two different kinds of people and you're, all of you are in the room somewhere in this category. There are those who listen to music that amplifies their emotion. And then there are those that listen to music to amend their emotions. Those who listen to music to cope or to celebrate. And you know who you are, you know, the sad people. <laughs> That's a weird way to throw you all under a bus, <laughs> all you sad people. Uh, like if you're sad, you like to listen to sad music because it amplifies the emotions you find yourself in. But what's interesting, someone just was patting their person next to him. That's awesome. I know who you are. <laughs> the interesting thing is that you can use the exact same song for multiple applications. Uh, let me prove it to you. Miguel, can you throw that first one on for me? Okay, turn it off. So a couple of applications for that song. If you're going through a great season, the day was awesome, you can get in your car and you can turn that song on and it's a song to celebrate. Like, as I'm happy, hallelujah. It amplifies your emotions. Others of you, if you are having the worst day of your life, you'll get into your car and I just need to listen to something happy and you turn on that song and it's like, ah, oh, my emotions are now aligning with the music that I'm listening to. Is this making sense? Uh, let's try another one. Mm. You can turn it off. <laughs> Someone just left the church. I felt it. I, I felt that. Yeah. I knew it. Uh, that's a Christian band. <laughs> At least that's what they say. Nobody actually knows what they're singing. So they could be chanting demonic things and we don't even know it. But Now, for some of you, uh, that song can amplify your emotions. Your job fired you. Your girlfriend broke up with you. You drop something on your foot and what do you do? You turn that music on because you're like, I just want to punch something. Ah! Others of you 
who wake up tired and you need to go to the gym and work out, this is something that can amend your emotions and you can use it as audio adrenaline to get you pumping in the right direction. Let's try one more, Miguel. Okay, thank you. That song only has one application, all right? If you're about to go kick somebody's butt, that's the song you play, period, all right? That's it. That's, I just wanted to play that song for some reason. It's good. <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing about the sound that you surround yourself with, the sound that you speak out, it, it, it can either amplify what you're walking through or it can amend what you're walking through. And, and here's what you need to understand. All of you are singing some song right now. There's a song coming out of your life. Whatever season you're in, good season, bad season, there is a song that is being lifted up. There, there's some lyrics. Are they the right ones? Are you singing the wrong song? Here's what I found. So often as Christians, we find ourselves simply singing songs that echo what we're facing right now. Whether it's despair, whether it's complaint, whether it's shame and guilt, we just start singing the same tune that echoes whatever it is we're facing rather than singing the songs or allowing the declaration of our lips to begin to prophesy our way out of what we're facing. I don't want you to be the kind of people that just listen to the same music and sing the same songs, if you will, have the same declaration that only amplifies the garbage that's going on in your life. No, we have the ability to lift up a sound and prophesy our way out of whatever we're facing. See, Paul and Silas, they understood this. They understood that the song mattered. They understood that the lyrics they were gonna lift up in that prison cell had the power to either keep them there or to set them free. See, I, when I read scriptures like this and stories like this, I ask myself, like, what song were they singing? Like, if there's a song that shakes the earth and breaks chains, maybe that's the song. Break every chain. Like, what were they singing that caused this earthquake and the chains to fall off and every prisoner to be set free. What, what song was it? Well, what's interesting is we don't have to guess. In fact, scripture tells us what song they were singing. Like where, I didn't read that in the story. Well, actually the Greek word there that's used for hymns is a word that references what many Jewish people would be familiar with and that is called the great Hallel. It is a collection of Psalms chapter 113 through Psalms chapter 118. And I was sitting down with a group of Jewish people last night and I'm talking about this and I asked a question and they told me that in fact, that song is generally sung at every holiday that involves celebration, a joyful celebration. So get this, the tune that the Jewish people turn up to celebrate is the tune that they're singing in the middle of a prison cell. They're, they're singing songs of celebration while they're locked away in a cell. And let me give you a couple of lyrics from the song that they were singing because the lyrics matter. It says in Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the, of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Psalm 113.7, he lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. 
Psalm 115, all you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The Lord remembers us and he will bless us. Come on, they are prophesying what God is gonna do at the end of this situation. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me and the terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord, save me. How can this kind Lord, how kind the Lord is, how good he is, his merciful God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Are you hearing these lyrics? They don't make any sense. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. <laughs> really? Right now? Yeah, he's good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What can this jailer do to me? What can those who beat me do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. And then this one, Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Really? How, how do you have that kind of a declaration in a prison cell? These, these are not songs that make sense. They're a paradox to what they're facing. But they refused to sing songs that simply allowed them to cope with their environment. To just go, okay, this is what we're facing. Turn on the heavy metal. This sucks. Like that's, that's not what they were singing. They understood that their words and their song had the ability to prophesy and exit for them. And so they lifted up their voice. What lyrics are you singing today? What declaration is coming out of your lips? Perhaps you need to sing a different tune. Perhaps you need to change the lyrics of what are coming out of your mouth. You need to remind your sickness that he still heals. You need to remind your job that he still provides. You need to remind your soul that promotion does not come from the east or the west. It doesn't come by you scheming and trying to snake your way up the scales. It comes from the Lord. And as you declare these kinds of lyrics out with your life, guess what? Breakthrough's on the other side of it. Freedom is on the other side of it. You just gotta change your tune because the song matters. Be careful what you let come out of your mouth. The Bible says that life and death is found in the power of the tongue. If all you've got coming out of you is complaint, if all you've got is despair, maybe you shouldn't be surprised about where you're living right now because your words become the pathway to get you out of that place. You can prophesy your way out of prison if praise will be on your lips in the middle of the paradox. Number three, the last one. The audience matters. The audience matters. Look what it says in uh, Acts 16, 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Uh, write this down if you're taking notes. My praise is bigger than me. My praise is bigger than me. Now, there are people in the room, we've been in church for a little while and you already know where you think I'm going with this because we've all heard this scripture preached in this context before, okay? Like, okay, this is where you use that scripture as like the cattle prod to get me to lift up my voice during worship. I know my hands are in my pockets today and I wasn't singing very loud, but this is where you remind me that when I come into this place with, with a song on my lips and I bring my passion and I bring my praise to God that it doesn't just affect me, but it could affect the person three rows behind me because they could be walking through something and they need to get swept up into the atmosphere of worship and God's gonna set them free. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I do need you to do that. 
I don't know about you, but when I walked into a church building at 18 years old and I was far from Jesus, it was the praise of other people that brought about freedom for me. It was the fact that other people were willing to lift up their voice and create an atmosphere that I could walk into. And yes, my chains fell off and it was a supernatural experience. So I need you on your A game. I need you to leave your house like 10 minutes earlier so you're actually here on time. I was running sound today. I seen you come in late, okay? Like, Jesus knows, all right? But, but let me offer a slightly different application that probably will hit a little closer to home for some of us in the room today. History tells us that when people found themselves locked up in a Roman prison, often the prisoners were chained together. Uh, they didn't have just this individual set of chains or an individual stock over their head. They chained all of them together to ensure that if one person tried to escape, they wouldn't be able to because they were, they were attached to everybody else. Perhaps that's why when Paul and Silas began to lift their voices, everybody else's chains fell off because in order for their chains to fall off, everyone who was attached to them needed to be set free as well. See, there were people that were connected, that were attached to Paul and Silas. Who who is connected and attached to you? Who, Who in your family who in your workplace, who, who in your circle is in some chains right now that they can't break free of, but while they're vexed, while they're imprisoned, you can begin to sing a song over them. See, when I praise, when I lift up my voice, there are some people that are connected to me and attached to me that are affected by my praise. When I praise, my daughter who has a blood condition is affected by my praise and I'm believing for breakthrough. When I praise people in our church who I pray for every single day who are struggling with infertility or unemployment or whatever the situation might be, my praise has the ability to affect those people. Friends and family members of mine that are still not saved, that I'm still believing for. When I lift up my voice and when I begin to praise, my praise doesn't just set me free, but it actually has the ability to affect their chains. And the same is true of you. There are people that are connected and attached to you and your praise has the ability to affect their freedom. I don't want you to be the kind of people that just pray for others. I want you to praise for others. I want you to begin to lift up your voice in your home and begin to declare over some people in your household, Jesus, you reign in this place. And although you're not on the throne of their heart yet, it's only a matter of time before breakthrough is coming. Come on, you have the authority to lift up your voice and to see it affect not just your life, but the lives of those that are attached and connected to you. We gotta have this song on our lips because people are listening. I love my friend Jabin Chavez. He says this, your audience has ears. Your audience has ears. You have an audience everywhere you go, at your workplace, in your home. When you get cut off on Brotherhood Way, you have an audience. (laughs) and they have ears, what are they hearing coming out of your lips? I believe if we would just lift up our voice and we would praise, we'd see freedom at a whole nother level in our city. Now, uh, band, you guys can come, we'll conclude here. But uh, my pastor used to say this to me. He said, every good sermon accomplishes two things. It answers these two questions. What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? So, So let me make this very simple and put some handles on it for us. What do I want you to know? I want you to know that regardless of what you're facing right now, you can still praise Jesus. 
you can still lift up your voice and thank him because he's good. You can attribute anything negative in your life to the one who deserves it. The liar, the schemer, the one that's trying to take you out and steal, kill and destroy everything good that God's trying to do in your life. Let's assign that to the enemy, but have this confession on our lips. God, you are still good. I want you to know the time matters, the song matters, and the audience matters. People are listening. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a fresh commitment this morning to live out what it says in Psalms chapter 34, verse one. In fact, if you're looking for a memory verse, I would encourage you to, to memorize this one and let it be something that you pray out every single morning. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will always be on my lips. All times, good, bad, sickness, health, plenty, lack. Yeah, the same stuff they say at a marriage ceremony. There, there will be a praise on my lips. And don't waste the season that you're in right now. Brian Johnson, the, the worship pastor at Bethel Church in Reading, he made this statement and it, and it stuck with me. I don't remember when I heard it, it was a while back, but he said, middle of a worship service, he stood up and he said, we're never gonna get a chance to worship like this again. Like this is the purest form of praise because when we all get to heaven, and we're hanging out with Jesus and we're surrounding the throne, there's not gonna be any sickness. There's not gonna be any problems. There's not gonna be any unemployment. There's not gonna be any relational rifts. There's no divorce. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's none of that stuff. You don't get to worship through any of that when you're around the throne in heaven. But here on earth, we get to offer the purest form of praise, the supernatural kind of praise because it comes in the midst of whatever tension we're facing. Let me encourage you today, do not waste the season that you're in. Don't let this season pass you by while you stay silent. You're in a prison, come on, lift up a paradoxical praise. Say, I, I, don't, I don't care what's around me, I'm gonna still lift up the name of Jesus and let's believe that breakthrough is on the other side of it, amen? Come on, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.